Wyndham Hotels and Resorts makes travel possible for all. Whether it's the long haulers looking for a great cup of coffee, a roomier rest for the on-a-wim road trippers, or a place to make summer memories with the whole family. No matter who you are, where you're going, or why, with 24 trusted brands to choose from like La Quinta, Days Inn, and Super 8, your Wyndham is waiting. Get the lowest price at WyndhamHotels.com. Restrictions apply. Visit website for more details. Big stories, big guests, the big picture. Afternoons with Rob Breckenridge. Weekdays 1230 to 3, 770 CHQR. Talks a lot about uh, Canadian citizens who have gone abroad to fight for ISIS. But the problem uh, of so-called extremist travelers goes beyond just the uh, so-called Islamic State. Uh, an interesting investigation from Global News has, has tried to pinpoint exactly how big this problem is. And some pretty startling numbers come to light. Going back to 2012, looking at terror attacks that have killed or injured people around the world. That attacks that are attributable to some degree to Canadian terrorists. There have been some Canadian involvement. But those attacks have killed or injured more than 300 people in countries around the world. As mentioned, going back over the past seven years, Algeria, Bangladesh, Bulgaria, Iraq, Russia, Somalia, just some of the countries. Joining us to talk a bit more about uh, the significance of these findings and, and how we go about piecing this, this question together in this way. Stuart Bell joins us, uh, who is a national investigative uh, journalist for Global News, globalnews.ca. You can read more uh, on his piece, Deadly Exports. Stuart, thanks so much for joining us here. Welcome to the program. Thanks, Rob. Uh, these are some pretty startling numbers. So when we talk about so-called extremist travelers, how, how do we define that? Well, it's generally uh, Canadians that have become radicalized, have left the country in order to participate in terrorist activities. So uh, usually that means uh, youngish men, uh, although a fair number of women as well, uh, who've left over the past few years to join up with uh, ISIS in particular, Al-Qaeda, Al-Qaeda affiliates around the world. So there's been, you know, there's been quite a few. And with the recent um, defeat of ISIS in Syria, in the sense that they lost their the last territory they were holding, um, we thought this was a chance to sort of reflect on that whole phenomenon of extremist travelers, which really began to peak, or it began to surge about 2012. That's when the numbers really started to go up. Um, and so, you know, I guess the question I was trying to answer was, if you look back um, on that period of time when we had a lot of radicalized Canadians uh, in various countries that were active in terrorist groups, what kind of damage did they do? I mean, can we count how many people they killed and injured? Who did they kill and injure and how? Right. So is there anything significant about that year? I mean, that, that's just before the Islamic State really started to, to expand its reach, but obviously they did exist. But what was significant about that year, and where else were these Canadians going? Well, I mean, 2012 was sort of the, the Arab Spring conflicts were really getting underway. The conflict in Syria, in particular in Iraq as well, uh, was starting to attract fairly significant numbers of foreigners that were coming in, uh, and those numbers continue to climb. The RCMP uh, seemed to figure that out pretty quickly, and by 2014, they were trying to implement measures that would try and 
stop people from leaving. But, you know, as we know, a fair number still uh, made it out and were able to join terrorist groups. Of course, we've tried to take steps since then uh, over the past few years to try to prevent this sort of thing from happening, trying to prevent the radicalization in the first place, trying to prevent these people from leaving. Does this suggest that maybe we haven't done a, a very good job of that? Well, yeah, you're right. There were a bunch of measures that were brought in. Um, the the RCMP began trying to uh, to sort of intercept people at airports. There were passport seizures. People put on the no-fly list. Um, there were you know cases where they uh, um, they had uh, they knew Canadians had left but hadn't yet made it to Syria, and they notified uh, the Turkish authorities, by the, uh, in particular, who were able to intercept them at the airport or some sometimes closer to the border, and send them back. So there were a bunch of things done, but it's uh, you know it, it, the experts we spoke to point to some of the challenges of of trying to. Um, just figure out, you know, uh, think of all the people that travel that leave Canada on a daily basis, you know, which ones are going to be a problem, which ones are in, intending to to make their way to Syria. And, of course, they, they complicate it by uh, very quickly after this phenomenon began to take off, um, um, the patterns began to change. So people were no longer booking direct flights from Toronto to Istanbul. They were going through transit countries and then purchasing their onward ticket. So it's it's hard, and the um, you know of course the police would have to have pretty solid evidence that um, somebody planning to leave the country was going to commit terrorism before they could step in and stop them from traveling. So how do you go about putting together these these figures? I mean, it's, you know, we we have different databases we can rely on. Obviously, we can find in the news where ISIS has, has done something or an Al-Qaeda offshoot has, has done something. But in terms of determining the involvement of Canadian nationals, that, that would seem to represent a different kind of challenge. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, first of all, what we couldn't figure out. Uh, so as you probably know, a lot of the Canadians that have left to, uh, to join terrorist groups like ISIS really went as low-level combatants. They were just... You know, they arrived. They were. They got a firearm of some kind, and they were sent out. And in many cases, they very quickly died. Um, so, you know, we, we can probably guess that some of those were responsible for killings, but we just don't know how many. It's not something that's that was publicized. Um, there were some very senior people in Syria. There was a, a Canadian that was a Hezbollah commander in Syria. There was another Canadian who was the head of an English speaking uh, ISIS brigade in Syria. And you can uh, assume that they're responsible for a fair uh, amount of loss of life, but we just can't put a number to that either. So I think we tried to be very conservative and stick only to killings and injuries that we could really be confident in verifying. Well, and and, yeah. yeah, I mean, and there are, there are a number of attacks that, uh, that you can directly uh, linked to Canadians uh, being very directly involved in leadership roles or suicide bombings, for example, um, and that comes from you know either authorities on the ground or um, in some cases terrorist groups will issue uh, martyrdom notices that um, that will identify the uh, the attacker as a Canadian. Um, so was, you know we use only reliable data, and so that's why I think our number, even though we got over 300, 
it's probably much more than that, I would say. Well, there's, you know, there's, there's some big attacks included in this. Uh, there was the courthouse attack in Somalia back in 2013. 34 people died in that. There was a restaurant attack in uh, Dhaka in uh, July of 2016, and uh, 29 people were killed in that. So th- those were two very high-profile terror attacks, and, and there's some pretty clear Canadian connections to both. Yeah, and, you know, when you look at uh, some of these attacks, they were really, some of them were very uh, large-scale, so mass casualty attacks. And when you compare that to other acts of violence in Canada, uh, we're talking about some of the worst mass murders in the history of Canada, uh, having been committed by uh, these Canadians who've who've gone abroad. And uh, I guess, you know, part of what uh, we sort of may learn from looking at this type of issue is that uh, there is, to some extent, an attitude, I think, in Canada that uh, they want to leave, let them go. They're not our problem anymore. But, you know, they're causing a lot of misery in other countries, and I'm not sure, uh, you know, how comfortable we really are with that when we understand that they're committing mass murder against other people in very vulnerable uh, situations in in conflict areas, for example, um, it also raises the question about to what extent are we content to leave those that have been captured in the hands of um, you know those who have caught them in places like Syria versus bringing them back and putting them on trial, holding them to account for the acts of terrorism that they participated in. So I think it's. Overall, I mean, this is really, it's been a neglected part of the conversation, I think. When we talk about the impact of Canadian extremism, we tend to really only look at the attacks that have occurred within Canada or the plots that have been disrupted. And we usually completely ignore the, uh, you know, the the consistent mass murder um, that Canadians have committed just in other countries. More details at globalnews.ca. Stuart, thanks so much for joining us here this afternoon. Appreciate it. Okay, thanks, Rob. Take care. Stuart Bell uh, with Global News, national online investigative journalist, deadly export. Uh, his investigative piece, again, you can find at globalnews.ca. Afternoons with Rob Breckenridge, starting at 1230 on News Talk 770 Calgary.